Was that not the most Lions outcome you've ever seen? So Lions! Unbelievable! Calvin Johnson about to dive into the end zone for a game-winning touchdown. On the verge, an inch away! Calvin Johnson an inch away from a stunning come-from-behind victory for the Detroit Lions. Knocked away by Cam Chancellor. Punched out of the end zone. Victory disappeared. Eviscerated. At that moment, just that punch just eviscerated a victory. Might have cost Jim Caldwell his job. That punch might have knocked out Jim Caldwell. Jim Caldwell during the broadcast. The cameramen know that the Jim Caldwell stare is something that is often talked about on social media. And that Jim Caldwell's, the look on his face is frequently mocked on football, Twitter, and other places. I know that the camera people... Those that are in the control room with the cameramen at ESPN, they have to know that this is an inside joke. They are zooming in on Jim Caldwell's face, and he is just earnest. Just the deadpan stare into space as you stare at, at, at his eyes, and the camera zooms and holds and zooms and holds. You're just left to wonder, what's he thinking? What's going on in there? Are there any thoughts in there whatsoever, or is it just this... Is it just white noise? Just bzzz. What is going on in that head of his? Just no expression. <laughs> He's a funny guy, Jim Caldwell. And the look on his face. Calvin Johnson about to score a touchdown and it just vanishes. Just whoosh, goodbye. But that's so Lions. Calvin Johnson is the most talented wide receiver in the history of the NFL. That's not up for dispute. He'll never come close to Jerry Rice's production. He'll never be held in the esteem of Jerry Rice. But in terms of athleticism, in terms of raw ability, I don't think anyone would question that Calvin Johnson is the standard. And yet Calvin Johnson has multiple end zone controversies in his past where he should have had a touchdown. And by some fluke event, the touchdown was ripped away from him. A few years ago, he was the poster child for the rule that you have to secure the catch, and if you go to the ground in the end zone, you have to continue to grip the ball throughout the process of falling down and coming to a complete stop. And if at any point in the process of you falling down is the ball dislodged, the touchdown is wiped away. And we learned that rule via Calvin Johnson, a play that 100 out of 100 NFL football fans watched and said, that's a touchdown. Go to the rule book, it's not a touchdown. Last night, 100 out of 100 football fans, the millisecond before Cam Chancellor's fist came in and punched that ball out, 100 out of 100 NFL football fans would have said, the Lions are about to score and they are probably going to win this game. Unless they do something else that's very Lions and somehow blow it by giving up a kick return touchdown, something like that. But no, no, they didn't. They found a way to lose. Somehow another touchdown that was about to be rung up for Calvin Johnson in his career for fantasy owners, was wiped away. Just wiped away. Just vanished in front of our eyes as it was happening. And it was a brilliant play by, by Cam Chancellor. But I just, I have to marvel at some of these franchises that just continue to have bad luck heaped upon them. Always. And how do they get away from it? How do they break the cycle of the bad luck? I mean, there's some franchises that they've just had so much bad luck pile up over Years and years and years, it's it's fair to wonder, is this franchise actually cursed? I know I'm not superstitious, so I don't believe in curses, but what's up? I mean, I was, 
I was watching the game agape. My mouth just, ah, what is happening? Is this real? I know a few Lions fans, and I was just devastated on their behalf. I mean, what? We had another game, Denver-Kansas City, that had a shock ending at the end with a fluky play where the the Kansas City fan base was just left standing there, mouth agape, saying to themselves, how did this just, did this just happen? Just, just the shock doesn't set in for a little while. But the question is, what are the Lions? That's a big question that we're getting. Contact the show at Roto Underworld on Twitter or email us, rotounderworld at gmail.com. That's the question. What are the Lions? What do we do with the Lions? What about the Lions? Are the Lions finished? Are all Lions in fantasy stayaways now? Do you want to essentially try to trade your Lions and get what you can for your Lions? Are you in a position where you can't play Lions anymore? Has the offense gotten that bad? Is it really that bad? Is Calvin Johnson a shell of his former self? Is Golden Tate droppable? Are the Lions in QB purgatory with Matt Stafford? Is it time to move on from him? What do you do with Matthew Stafford in Dynasty? Think about that. He's still young. He's not even close to 30 yet. It's just, it's it's an interesting conundrum what to do with these Lions. But I will remind you that the Lions have had the hardest schedule so far this year. So the first thing I would say as it relates to the Lions is just take a breath. Just take a breath and go back and remember the schedule that they've faced thus far. Three road games. They opened the season with three road games. So already, they were unlucky to begin the season. It is very unlucky to start the season with three road games out of the first four games. They went out to the West Coast at San Diego, three time zones they had to travel through. Then they were at Minnesota, not an easy place to play, loud stadium, one of the better defenses in the league. Then they played Denver, the best pass defense by far and away in the league. Maybe the best defense in the league, period. But easily, by far and away, the best pass defense in the league. Then they played the best pass defense in the NFC in Seattle. At Seattle! But that's a gauntlet that they had to face. And they lost all three games. But in the one game that wasn't a great defense that they had to face, San Diego, I'll remind you, against San Diego, they scored 28 points. Then against Minnesota, 16 points. Denver, 12. Seattle, 10. These are tough defenses. You wouldn't expect any team to go to Seattle and score a lot of points. Now, you wouldn't even expect any team to go to Minnesota and score a lot of points. You don't expect any team to score a lot of points against Denver. You just don't expect that right now, the way those defenses are playing. So there is absolutely a ray of hope when you look at the Lions. And this is a situation that I would be more inclined to buy than sell. I'd be more inclined to trade for Calvin Johnson and Golden Tate and Amir Abdullah than to trade them away right now. Simply because of their schedule. It is going to get easier. They have Arizona, which they have a good defense, but their pass defense is just okay. And they get Arizona at home. That's a big deal. Then they get Chicago at home. They get Minnesota at home. Again, Minnesota has a good defense, but it's a home game in week seven. That matters. Then they go at Kansas City, bad pass defense. At Green Bay, probably a high-scoring game. Oakland, Philadelphia, Green Bay at home. I mean, it it gets very good for them. New Orleans, San Francisco, it gets better, a lot better. Calvin Johnson's going to have some big games. Calvin Johnson is absolutely going to have multiple 150-yard multi-touchdown games this season. Put my name on it. Put my stamp my name on that prediction. Boom. Stamp my name on that. Put that down. Write it down. 
It's I'm on the record. Let's put that in the show record, the binder that we keep, a record of all my sports takes and opinions and predictions. I'm going to put that in a binder. Calvin Johnson's going to have a couple big games this year. Oh, yes, he will. Oh, yes, he will. Because he's not facing Denver every week. And Matthew Stafford is still a professional quarterback. He's still a starting quarterback in the NFL. Matthew Stafford is not a backup quarterback in the NFL. Matthew Stafford is not a quarterback that you can win a Super Bowl with. No. Matthew Stafford is Jay Cutler. But both Matthew Stafford and Jay Cutler have one thing in common. They're good fantasy quarterbacks. Jay Cutler and Matthew Stafford have fantasy value in and of themselves, and they're good enough, they're prolific enough quarterbacks, despite their turnovers and despite their bad decisions and despite their occasional just mind-numbingly bad throws, they're good enough to support multiple fantasy-relevant wide receivers. Jay Cutler did it two years ago with Alshon Jeffrey and Brandon Marshall. Matthew Stafford did it last year with... Calvin Johnson went healthy and Golden Tate, and I think he will continue to do that. Matthew Stafford didn't suddenly forget how to play football. You might think that watching the games, but I don't think that's true. I think he's regressing slowly, just like Jay Cutler has been regressing slowly since he left Denver. It's been a slow regression. These quarterbacks, they can't crack the 90.0 passer rating because they just turn the ball over too much. Too many interceptions, too many fumbles. Too many soul-crushing mistakes. So their teams are never going to win a Super Bowl. But fantasy owners that own Bears and fantasy owners that roster Lions can absolutely win their league championships. It's happened before and it'll happen again. People won their leagues with Alshon Jeffrey two years ago. Plenty of people won their leagues with Calvin Johnson four years ago. And Calvin Johnson's still 29. Calvin Johnson's not going to turn 34 like Roddy White. He's 29. He still has productive years left. He's past his prime, sure. But Golden Tate's still in his prime. While Calvin Johnson is past his prime, he's still a pretty great receiver. He burned Kerry Williams multiple times last night. The ball just wasn't there. Should have been thrown better. Next time, maybe Stafford completes that. Wasn't like the ball was thrown into the stands. The ball was a foot away from being completed. Maybe that's bad luck. Who knows? Stafford's completed that pass in the past, and I think he will complete it in the future. I think it was one game that we saw last night against a defense that was pressuring every aspect of the Detroit Lions offense, and it just wasn't going to happen for Detroit last night. I know it almost did. It was literally an inch away from happening, but it just wasn't going to happen. Let's be honest. Come on. They weren't going to beat Seattle at Seattle. (laughs) They should have, though. Oh, my God, they should have. So I'm hopeful that Golden Tate and Calvin Johnson will reach an inflection point against Arizona this week and start to produce like wide receiver one and wide receiver twos respectively. I think they can. I tentatively think they will. Now when you look at the running backs, I'm also buying Amir Abdullah and Zach Zenner. I like Amir Abdullah because we love Amir Abdullah's athleticism. When you go to playerprofiler.com, Amir Abdullah, sure, he runs a 4.60, and it's rare to see a running back that's less than 210 pounds that runs a 4.60 be a consistent fantasy starter. It's very rare for that individual to be a perennial fantasy starter. That's why we were cautious about players like Justin Forsett, for example. If you're smaller and you're not particularly fast, there aren't many examples of successful running backs year in, year out at the NFL level. But Amir Abdullah has some things going for him that most running backs do not. And that's 
99th percentile burst score, which is the vertical jump, the broad jump mixed together into one equally weighted metric. 97th percentile agility score. He's also strong for a little guy. He's not really little. He's 209 pounds. He's one pound away from two, being 210 pounds. These arbitrary cutoffs that we create, right? 24 bench reps at 209 pounds. The guy's a rock. Like a rock rock. Like way under the earth. Like crushed like a diamond type rock. He's about to be a diamond. He's on the verge of being a diamond. That's how hard he is. I mean, 205 pounds, 24 bench reps. Woo! That's incredible. And his BMI, 30.3, is above the 50th percentile. So he has above average body mass index and well above average strength to go along with the incredible burst and agility. And you see it on the field when he touches the ball, he looks electric. But when he's facing Denver and then he's facing Seattle in back-to-back -back weeks, he's going to get bottled up a lot because those defenses are the best in the league at stopping the run. They have great defensive tackles and linebacker play, and they're not going to give you the space to operate. And you're not going to look fast if you don't have space. That's what we talked about yesterday on the Football Diehard Show. We talked about Thomas Rawls and how he is not a particularly impressive running back. We talked about Devonta Freeman, how he is not an exceptional running back, that he is benefiting from being in a situation where he has a great offense and he's part of a great overall prolific offensive system that happens to have a lot of red zone carries and a lot of red zone touches and a lot of visits in the red zone. And therefore, he's going to score a lot of touchdowns because of it, regardless of his level of talent. So when you have big holes to run through, you're playing a defense that is subpar, you are behind an offensive line that's one of the best in the league in Atlanta, you're going to have a lot of space. And when you have space to operate, you look faster, you look more explosive because you can get your body going. And you can start moving downhill, gobbling up yards. You can start to approach defenders with momentum. And instead of trying to avoid a defender from a standstill position, you're moving forward with momentum and you're approaching that defender with momentum. And it's much easier to make a football move and get around that defender when you already have this positive downhill momentum. And you've been seeing Devonta Freeman taking advantage of that, taking advantage of that, and taking advantage of that over the last couple weeks. On the flip side, you haven't been able to watch Amir Abdullah do that because he's been facing Denver and then Seattle. But that's going to change. Soon, he will start to face easier defenses. Not this week, Arizona. Another tough run defense for Amir Abdullah as he runs the gauntlet. One of the most unlucky running backs in terms of scheduling we have in the NFL is Amir Abdullah. But it will get easier. Unfortunately, Amir Abdullah will never be in the plum situation that Devonta Freeman has found himself in because the Lions are not the prolific offense that Atlanta is, number one, and the Lions do not have nearly the offensive line dominance that Atlanta has. But I still like Amir Abdullah because Amir Abdullah won't be competing with Tevin Coleman for touches in the near future. Also, there's an enormous void behind Calvin Johnson and Golden Tate in terms of targets on the Detroit Lions. They lost Eric Ebron with a torn ACL last night. I was shaken seeing Eric Ebron sit on the trainer's table, devastated, knowing that his season was over. It felt like a stomach punch to me because I had completely come around 180 degrees on Eric Ebron. I shredded him on this show earlier in the year. And normally, 
I shred a player on the show. And like Devonta Freeman, he goes out, proves me wrong. But I don't feel bad because I'm confident in the, the intellectual underpinnings from which I criticize that player. Or a player like Devontae Adams goes out and, and proves me right. So very rarely do I feel bad about analysis or criticism that I've provided of a player from a previous show. It's very rare. But in Eric Ebron's case, I, I felt bad. I felt wrong. I felt like Eric Ebron deserved an apology. And I felt embarrassed about my opinions about Eric Ebron and the vitriol that I spewed in front of this microphone, dismissing his potential in the NFL, utterly dismissing it, giving him no opportunity to redeem himself in 2015. I said that the utter incompetence that Eric Ebron showed on the football field in 2014 is something that no football player could come back from. I couldn't conceive of it. In my mind's eye, I couldn't imagine the possibility that Eric Ebron could turn his career around after having the worst year for a tight end in terms of efficiency we've seen, both blocking and pass catching last year. Eric Ebron was the worst in the NFL, and it wasn't particularly close. And I said as much on the show. Then this year, he goes out and posts a 60% plus catch rate, touchdowns in consecutive weeks, and shows a complete reversal of his 2014 inefficiency. And the Lions desperately needed that because the Lions desperately needed a number three receiver. They have no one behind Calvin Johnson and Golden Tate. And wow, was I wrong about Eric Ebron. And I came around very quickly and have been touting Eric Ebron the last couple weeks and including Eric Ebron in the playerprofiler.com lineup optimizer. If you go to playerprofiler.com, click on the lineup optimizer later in the week and you'll see... We have one cash lineup, which is a low-volatility lineup for cash games and FanDuel, DraftKings. We have a high-volatility lineup for tournament play. Actually, 10 separate high-volatility tournament lineups for DraftKings and FanDuel. I believe we have the best lineup optimizer tool in all of fantasy football because we provide cash and tournament versions of the optimal lineups and provide multiple versions, particularly for tournament play, for GPPs. And you'll see the last couple of weeks, Eric Ebron has showed up a lot in those tournament lineups. And of course, it was a bad play to play him last week because he got hurt. But man, has he looked good. And he was showing that Eric Ebron is the 10th overall pick that the Lions selected, that he was living up to his draft capital this year. And then at the worst possible moment when the Lions needed him, and when he was stepping up and making plays on the field against Cam Chancellor and one of the toughest defenses in the NFL, at that very moment, he tears his ACL. And that's just devastating, man. That just, it made me feel nauseous. It really did. And then I was thinking about it. Whenever a player goes down, whenever Lance Dunbar goes down, or whenever some player gets injured, my brain is wired to think about, well, how does that void impact the other players on the team? Who can step in and fill that void? Who is going to benefit from those lost targets, and have his target share increased. And in the Lions, on the Lions, I believe it will not be necessarily a tight end. I think Tim Wright is going to be the starter. But Tim Wright cannot play in running situations. Tim Wright is a wide receiver playing the tight end position. I mean, Tim Wright isn't even 230 pounds. I mean, he looks like a wide receiver that they've just put TE next to his name. So he can't play on an every-down basis. And we've talked about this before. The specialized move tight ends that can't play in line, 
their upside is capped. They have low ceilings compared to the the bigger tight ends, the size speed freaks that can play on an every down basis. So I'm not that excited about Tim Wright in two tight end leagues or leagues that put a premium on tight end production. I'll be picking up Tim Wright for sure because there's a target void. There's no one behind Calvin Johnson and Golden Tate. The next guy on the target totem pole is Lance Moore. Whoa! Yes, so whoever the tight end who's playing the slot in the various formations that feature a move tight end, and the Lions had a lot of those with Eric Ebron in the game, and they will continue to play Tim Wright in passing situations in the slot. So Tim Wright will have productive weeks. He will have five catches for 60 yards. He will have three catches for 30 yards and a touchdown. Tim Wright's going to give you those weeks. But he's not going to one-for-one fill the void left behind by Eric Ebron because Eric Ebron was playing really well and commanding more than six targets a game. Who is going to get those additional targets? I believe it's going to be Amir Abdullah. It's part of the reason why I'm trading for Amir Abdullah now because Amir Abdullah has logged now multiple games in a row of subpar, substandard production. And what I'm seeing in the social media conversation sphere is that Amir Abdullah is not living up to the hype. That's the reputation he's getting tagged with. Amir Abdullah, not living up to the hype. And if you take a step back and say, okay, well, why is that? Is it because he's simply been failing? He's had bad matchups and he hasn't cashed in? Or are there external circumstances that can explain why he hasn't lived up to the hype, quote-unquote? And with Amir Abdullah, we've given you these reasons. In the beginning of the season, his carries were throttled by Joyke Bell. And the moment Joyke Bell gets marginalized, his reward is to play Denver and Seattle. That's bad luck. But now Amir Abdullah is getting lucky. He's moving into a soft part of the schedule. And the team has a target void behind Calvin Johnson and Golden Tate. And I believe Amir Abdullah is perfectly positioned to soak in those extra targets and people say well no it's gonna be isn't it it's it can't be him it's probably going to be theoretic right won't it be theoretic no it's not gonna be theoretic theoretic is already maxing out his ability because theoretic has very little ability again like devonta freeman when theoretic is in space he looks quicker and faster and more explosive than he actually is when there are defenders around theoretic he gets quickly tackled because Theo Riddick is 200 pounds and runs a 4.7140 that comes out to an 81.7 speed score, third percentile. His burst score, 113.4, 18th percentile. He looks like a bankrupt man's Justin Forsett. Theo Riddick is, is barely functional as the third down back. He gets the minimum that you would get as the third down back in Detroit. You get five targets a game, you should be doing more with it than Theo Riddick is. So no, Theo Riddick's role isn't going to expand. The player whose role is going to expand is Amir Abdullah. Amir Abdullah will continue to get the work in early downs, first and second down. I believe Amir Abdullah will start to get some of Theo Riddick's third down work. And Amir Abdullah will be more of a featured option in the passing game without Eric Ebron. That's why I'm so aggressively trading for trying to go out and acquire Amir Abdullah wherever I can. And as I mentioned before, I'm also putting feelers out to see if I can acquire Calvin Johnson and or Golden Tate at a reasonable price. Because even though Matthew Stafford is bad, he's not so bad that he can't support multiple fantasy-relevant options in that offense once the schedule softens. 
But, but even though I'm trading for Calvin Johnson and Golden Tate where, where possible, and even though I'm aggressively trying to go out and acquire Amir Abdullah, I have to admit, I have to admit, and this might be a, a blind spot that I have, I'm not trying to get Matthew Stafford. All that being said, all that being true, something about the way I'm wired personally, I can't, with a straight face and with a clear conscience, go out and trade for Matthew Stafford. I just can't do it. It's for the same reason I never have Jay Cutler on my team. These guys are fantasy assets, particularly when the, the matchup is right. You should be playing them. You should be playing them in daily, and you should be starting them on some teams where you have multiple quarterback options. But I never have Matthew Stafford or Jay Cutler on my team, and I never have the option to take advantage of the good matchups that those two quarterbacks sometimes find themselves in. Just because I never own them because I can't bring myself to own quarterbacks that I know in real life are that bad, are just soul-crushing quarterbacks in real life for their teams. And there was another team this week that had a, a major injury to their tight end, and that was Washington. Washington lost Jordan Reed. Jordan Reed, he is made of glass. I think he's actually made of glass. I think when they when he takes his socks off, it just tings. There's just glass under there. Because on Sunday, Jordan Reed was injured three different ways. Sprained ankle, sprained knee, concussion. And that's pretty much it. I mean, Jordan Reed has three middle names. Jordan, sprained knee, sprained ankle, concussion Reed. It's a long, it's a very long name. <laughs> Old money. But this is now five concussions for Jordan Reed going back to Florida. You saw in 2013, Jordan Reed missed four or five games with a severe concussion. And this was one of those knees to the helmet. Those knees to the helmet sometimes cause the worst concussions. So I'm concerned about Jordan Reed. He's one of those move tight ends that transcended so sublime in the passing game was Jordan Reed that he could overcome being one of the smallest starting tight ends in the league. It didn't matter with Jordan Reed. They were going to use him no matter what because he's just so fantastic in the passing game, and now he's been hurt every way he can be hurt, and I don't know when he's coming back. And the backup, they traded for Derek Carrier in the offseason, and for Washington, that's looking like a prescient acquisition. You might say, well, who's Derek Carrier? Never heard of him. Undrafted guy. Oh, Derek Carrier. <laughs> Let's look at Derek Carrier's playerprofiler.com page for a second. Derek Carrier runs a 4.55, 94th percentile, 127.5 burst score, 89th percentile, 1073, 100th percentile agility score. That all comes out to a 1037 catch radius, 97th percentile. What? What? And he's smaller. He's only 6'3", but he's 240 pounds. He's not like Tim Wright. He doesn't look like a wide receiver. Derek Carrier looks like a tight end. He is a tight end. And no, he's not a great blocker. But guess what? It doesn't matter. Niles Paul was never a great blocker. And Washington installed him as their starting tight end. Jordan Reed was never a great blocker. Washington installed Jordan Reed as their starting tight end. Jordan Reed had 34 targets this season. 8.5 targets per game. Think about that. For a tight end, that's number one wide receiver target volume. And now in steps Derek Carrier with those metrics. Then you might say, well, maybe he's just a workout machine. Maybe Derek Carrier, he's great in the gymnasium. How is he on the football field? Well, Derek Carrier, it's funny you should mention that. He owns the highest college dominator rating in the playerprofiler.com database. Now, he did this at Beloit College, a very small school, playing wide receiver. And so they just fed him the ball at Beloit College. You can tell he's a speed-sized freak at the NFL level. Imagine how difficult Derek Carrier was to, 
to cover at the college level. All those Beloit college defenders hanging off of Derek Carrier, just hoping that he falls down on his way to another touchdown. Imagine. Amazing. So he's the guy. He's my number one pickup. And I know we're running out of time. Only have about 10 minutes left in the show. And I always promise on Tuesdays from now on that I run out of time. There's so much more to talk about. My my goal this week, and I started with a football diehard show. We talked about Seattle and Thomas Rawls. We talked about Atlanta, Hankerson, Freeman, and Coleman. Today, we talked about Detroit, talking about Washington. My goal for this week between the football diehard show and you can go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, search for Football Diehards with Matt Kelly, and you can find that show and subscribe to it. My goal this week between Football Diehards and the Roto Underworld show was to cover every team, to talk about one interesting nugget from every team. That was my goal. Two shows, we've covered four teams so far. And I'm not even done talking about Washington. <laughs> so this is not going well. Wednesday and Thursday are going to have to be so efficient. They're going to have to be so crazy efficient. I don't know if I can do it. Uh, maybe I can't. Maybe I can't. I'm going to try. But let me just tell you who I'm picking up this week so you know, just so you can mark it down. The first player I'm picking up because I think heading into a bye in week four, he was under-added, under-appreciated, under the radar, Antonio Andrews. He is going to be the starting running back for Tennessee. And every time, anytime you can get your hands on a starting running back in the NFL, you want to go and add them. Antonio Andrews is not a special athlete, but he was dominant in college. He does have a niftiness about him. He does have a Jeremy Hill-like quality to him. And so I am adding Antonio Andrews also because the Tennessee Titans is a pretty interesting, fun offense. And for that reason, I want Antonio Andrews. The second player I'm adding this week is Kamar Aiken because Kamar Aiken is going to be the de facto number one wide receiver for the Baltimore Ravens. Will Crockett Gilmore even play as the starting tight end? I don't know. Steve Smith's going to miss this week at least. Michael Campanaro's on the IR. He's out for the year. That leaves Kamar Aiken as the number one option. So he will get fed this week at the very least. And maybe in, in the weeks moving forward, depending on how Steve Smith comes back from his back injury. So I'm adding Kamar Aiken. Antonio Andrews and Kamar Aiken and Derek Carrier. Those are the big three. Those are the top three. Because it's opportunity. Yeah, I love Derek Carrier's ability. Yeah, I like the fact that Kamar Aiken is fast. He runs a 4 5 40, but because he's 6 2, 215, Kamar Aiken's height adjusted speed score is 106.3, and his burst score is 126.1, 74th percentile. Kamar Aiken is athletic, and he's big. And you saw in his seven catch performance last week that he can catch the football. He knows how to get open, so there's a lot to like about Kamar Aiken. But at the end of the day, it's about opportunity in redraft, fantasy football, redraft format. It's mostly about opportunity. Just ask Devonta Freeman, right? It's mostly about opportunity, and some some of it is about ability. But it's more about opportunity than it is ability. So Antonio Andrews, Kamar Aiken, and Derek Carrier are people I'm adding because they're in line to get big spikes in opportunity. Also, we've seen over the last few weeks that Willie Sneed has usurped Brandon Coleman. We'll talk about him later in the week. But Willie Sneed is the next guy that I'm adding because he looks like a starter. He's getting more targets than Colston and Coleman combined. It's amazing. He's not special to look at, but his quarterback is Drew Brees and he's getting five plus targets a game. So based on opportunity and situation alone, you have to go add Willie Sneed and you have to add Chris Thompson. 
Chris Thompson is now the passing down specialist with Washington, and his quarterback is a check down game manager quarterback. Those quarterbacks like to use the running back a lot in the passing game. So Chris Thompson is now, for those of us that have lost Lance Dunbar, and I've lost Lance Dunbar in a lot of leagues, Chris Thompson is the best replacement option for those of us that have lost a passing down back like Lance Dunbar. So my top five ads for all leagues, all formats, Andrews, Aiken, Carrier, Sneed, and Thompson. In deeper leagues, I'm adding Tim Wright on the Lions for the reasons I outlined earlier. He will fill a a target void left by Eric Ebron, at least partially. Dontrell Inman, based on opportunity alone, both Stevie Johnson and Malcolm Floyd were hurt last week. Dontrell Inman came in and received significant targets and converted them. He is a good receiver. He's not great, but he looks like a a lesser version of Keenan Allen, actually. We talked about this in the offseason. Dontrell Inman is redundant with Keenan Allen and Stevie Johnson. He's a technician that knows how to get open, despite not being necessarily a special athlete. But in a situation where he's the number two receiver for Phillip Rivers, Dontrell Inman is a player you have to add. Similar with Chris Hogan. He's a technician. And last week, he looked like the number two receiver for Tyrod Taylor, not Robert Woods. So for that reason, I like Chris Hogan. And then deep sleeper, Darren Waller, an option for Joe Flacco. The Ravens added Chris Givens. They have Marlon Brown on the roster. But the guy that's more exciting than those two options is Darren Waller. So there's an opportunity for Darren Waller to seize a significant target share in Baltimore if he can rise to the occasion. I think he has the talent to do that, but I'm not sure. We'll see what happens. Deep leagues, absolutely targeting Darren Waller. So again, my list, the final list, all leagues, Antonio Andrews, Kamar Aiken, Derek Carrier, Willie Sneed, Chris Thompson, in that order. Deep leagues, Tim Wright, Dontrell Inman, Chris Hogan, Darren Waller. Had to get that out of the way, right? But it's interesting in Washington. It really is. I like Derek Carrier a lot this week, assuming Deshaun Jackson doesn't play. Derek Carrier will be the number two option for Kirk Cousins. So he's a player I'm streaming away. Oh, yeah. And Chris Thompson. It's interesting. What's happening in the NFC East? All the NFC East teams have now installed three-way committees. It used to be the two-way committee was something that fantasy gamers lamented strongly. Now the two-way committee is a good thing. Hey, Gio Bernard and Jeremy Hill, we'll take it. Just don't do one of those three-way committees. Oh, now the entire NFC East is a three-way committee. Oh, God. And it's looking like maybe the best passing down back of all of the passing down backs in the NFC East is Chris Thompson. He's producing. And on the Redskins specifically, oh, I said the Redskins. I try not to say that. The, the, the Washington team. I would rather have the scat back on the, the offense that is often constipated, like Washington is often constipated. They rarely visit the red zone. They don't have a good offensive line. So for teams that don't visit the red zone very often and don't have a good offensive line, I would rather have the scat back in Chris Thompson, knowing they're going to be playing from behind, knowing that Kirk Cousins likes to dump it off to the running back because he's a checkdown artist, he's a game manager. I would rather have Chris Thompson than either Matt Jones or Alfred Morris. That's crazy, but it's true.